This is Commissioner Muhammad calling this, calling to order the Port of Seattle's Audit Committee special meeting to order. Today is Friday, June 30th, 2023, and the time is 10.59. We are meeting today at the Port of Seattle's headquarters, commission chambers, and virtually via Teams platform. Present with me today is committee members, Commissioner Sam Cho, and public member Sarah Holmstorm. To make this meeting more accessible to the public, the meeting is being live streamed and digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website. A call-in telephone number is also provided for anyone who would like to listen in into the meeting. The first item of business is the approval of our last meeting minutes from April 6, 2023. As a reminder to the viewing audience, the public member of the audit committee, Sarah, is not a voting member for the purposes of casting votes on motions made per the committee rules. Are there any corrections to the minutes? Are there any objections to, approve, to approval of the minutes as presented? Hearing none, the, the minutes are approved. That takes us into item number three, the Moss Adams 2022 financial statement audit results. Um, Mr. Fernandez, please introduce our speakers today. Thank you, Commissioner. Today we have uh, Olga Darlington, who's partner at uh, Moss Adams, and Connor McCauley, who's a senior auditor who did the work, um, who's part of the key team, and they'll be talking about our financial statement audit results for the year. Olga, it's all yours. Thank you, Glenn. Good morning, commissioners, or members of the committee. And we have a short slide presentation, some visuals for um, presenting to you the results of the 2022 um, year-end audit. Okay. Um, do I have a... Do I, okay. All right, we can go to the, the, the next slide. So what we will um, present to you today is the overview of the reports that we have issued as a result of the audit. Um, we always like to talk to tell you a little bit more about the significant areas of the audit where we spent a lot of um, audit effort, um, touch on internal controls, and then um, cover the matters that are required to be communicated to those churches governance, such as the audit committee. Um, briefly overview the upcoming accounting standards that the port will be implementing in the future years. On the next slide, this is the highlight of our presentation. So the audit um, was completed in April, and as a result of our audit on the financial statements of um, for the year ended December uh, 31, 2022, we issued the uh, several reports. The first one is um, the report on the financial statements themselves, and they cover the enterprise fund, which is the port itself, as well as the fiduciary fund, which is the warehouseman's pension trust fund. Um, the, the report is on modified opinion, which is, as you know, a clean opinion. That's exactly um, the kind of opinion that you want as a result of a financial audit. Um, also issued the report on internal control over financial reporting. That uh, report generally would disclose any material, uh, material weaknesses or significant deficiencies if we had found them. Please to report there were no findings in that report as well. 
Um, additional compliance report was related to the federal awards that the um, port spends throughout the year. And um, the compliance, so the, the two reports were issued, one on the compliance schedule itself, itself, it's a schedule of expenditures of federal awards, and the second report, uh, once again, on internal controls covering the compliance with those federal awards. Um, that report um, included all of the federal awards that the port received in 2022, and one major program was identified for testing, and that's the airport improvement program that showed expenditures of 174 million, um, of which um, 149 million were COVID-related funds that were received. On the next slide, we have a few more reports that we have issued. Um, the first one is the audit report on the schedule of passenger facility charges. This is a special um, compliance report that's required to be submitted to Federal Aviation Administration, and it's performed in accordance with a special guide that FAA issues for collection and disbursement of passenger facility charge um, fees. Um, another report on schedule of net revenues available for revenue bond debt service. Um, that's a 10-year schedule um, that shows revenues and expenditures and comes to a calculation of the debt service coverage um, that the port complies with. And then two reports on agreed upon procedures that are specifically um, outlined and go to the Department of Ecology and Department um, uh, Environmental Protection Agency. Um, so those, uh, that covers all of the reports, no findings in any of the reports, so they're all clean, um, all good news. So. All right, I'll ask Connor to cover some of the areas of audit emphasis for us. Yes, hi. I'm um, just going to cover kind of where our focus was during the audit. Um, to start off with, internal control environment uh, for any business or any entity internal controls are important to make sure that day-to-day -day transactions are being properly approved and recorded. So some of the main um, control processes we looked at were around capital assets and project management, the cash receipts and receivables. The other side of that is the cash disbursements and payables, uh, bond and investment transactions, as well as the administration of federal awards, um, as Olga mentioned, with the main focus on kind of COVID-19 funding this year. Another area is management estimates. Anytime you have uh, estimates involved, there's a, a high level of judgment involved. And so for any significant estimates, we pay close attention to that. Some of these estimates include the allowance for doubtful accounts, uh, environmental remediation liability, legal contingencies and insurance recoveries, uh, and actuarial valuations of pension and post-employment benefits. And then we also take a look at the Northwest Seaport Alliance joint venture. Um, they actually issue their report before we do, so we can kind of take a look at that and confirm the port's share of that joint venture operating revenue. And then capital assets, as you go through the uh, financial report, you'll see that's one of the larger um, items, larger balances, and so we take a large um, look into there. Some of our considerations include capitalization policies, testing of additions, any retirements, the application of overhead throughout the year. And then in the past few years, we've um, sp spent extra consideration around the timely closing of capital improvement projects, specifically around year end and making sure if a project is in service, it is being recorded and depreciation is going as opposed to um, being in um, construction and process where it would not be depreciating. Uh, on the next slide, we have a few more areas. 
So another large uh, balance on the report will be you know, bond activity and debt, and so we always take a look there. We tested the five new bond issuances and four refunding bonds this year. Uh, we also look at debt repayments, arbitrage liabilities, uh, any compliance with relevant uh, covenants attached to those debt debt, and then uh, procedures over the net revenue schedule and making sure that all ties out correctly. And then moving on, we've got the airport lease and operating agreement. This is the large source of revenue, one of the large sources of revenue for the port. Uh, we do both a test of detail and analytical approach. Analytical approach will take a look at um, business indicators such as you know landing weight, employment, gate usage. We'll develop our own expectation on what we'd expect landing fees, terminal rents, and gate fees to be. Compare that to what they actually were, and then any large differences will. Um, we'll kind of investigate and understand. And then we also send confirmations of revenue out to some of the larger airlines um, to get comfort over there. Other sources of revenue we're looking at are ad valorem tax levies, investment income, passenger facility charges, customer facility charges, and federal grants. And then last but not least, we also look at the collectability of any related receivables at year end to make sure that if they are recorded as revenue, the expectation is that they are being collected. Uh, and on the next slide, one of the more significant areas this year, if not the most significant area, was looking at um, management's implementation of the new GASB leasing standard, uh, GASB 87. So a couple things with this standard is it um, is retroactively applied to December 31st, 2020 and 2021, which resulted in a restatement I'll cover in a sec. Um, and the port, and essentially what it does is it takes the net present value of all expected as the lessee, or lessor, sorry, all expected future payments of leases and puts that as an asset on the balance sheet and a corresponding deferred inflow. Um, and then as a lessee, there would be the lease liabilities kind of uh, in similar theory there. And then it also moves uh, some revenue below the operating um, income line into uh, kind of an other income uh, lease interest expense. So those are kind of the main implementation uh, stuff that we looked at. Ports management has been working on this implementation for multiple years now, and we were able to uh, work through most of our testing in September and November of last year, and then kind of finish it up when we were out for final field work uh, in March of this year. Um, as you can see, the overall restatement impact was pretty significant. Uh, there's added lease receivable of $345 million and that um, deferred inflow in the same amount. There's some intangible leased assets of $8.5 million and related accumulated amortization of $3.8 million. Uh, on the lessee side, there's that $4.7 million in lease liabilities that's been added and then a decrease in um, financial year end 2020 and 2021 operating revenue of 11 million and 12 million and essentially it, it just reclassed that down below operating income to um, lease interest. Some of the procedures we performed as part of our audit included reviewing management's um, professional memos and white papers of their uh, understanding of the guidance and implementation, and then we recalculated uh, management's calculations for the net present value calculations, and then ensured that proper disclosures and required disclosures were being made. 
We also, to do that, we selected a sample of lease agreements and re-performed the calculations that management had performed. Um, next slide, please. So then finally, on the other areas, we have the port is a fiduciary for the Warehouseman's Pension Trust Fund, and so we always perform procedures around that, which include looking at investment balances and distributions at this point. There's no more contributions, uh, so primarily focused on those distributions. And then uh, information technology and IT is just a growing subject around the world in general with the techn um, technological era that we're in. And so we have our uh, IT specialists come in and do internal control testing and IT testing around some general computer controls, primarily around the security and access, uh, providing access and revoking access uh, in a timely manner. They're also looking at the exchange of information between systems and ensuring that that information is uh, complete and accurate as it's being transferred between the different systems. And then finally, as Olga kind of touched on earlier, we have separate procedures around federal awards and the expenditures of those federal awards. This year, we identified the Airport Improvement Program um, as the significant federal award. You can see up there 174 million of the total 175 million spent uh, was part of this pr improvement program. And then we had a special focus on COVID relief funding where 149 million of that 140 or 74 million uh, were related to that. So on the next slide, we'll go over just some uh, required communications we have as the auditor, our um, responsibility is to form and express an opinion about whether the financial statements are fairly presented. Um, and then we also plan and perform our audit in accordance with generally accepted auditing standards as well as government auditing standards. I uh, do want to point out that this does not relieve port management and the port commission of their responsibilities to the accurate reporting. Um, our audit was performed to the planned scope. There weren't any changes in that scope during our um, procedures and the time frame. I'd also like to point out uh, note one in the annual financial report will summarize the significant accounting policies and it also discusses the impact of GASB 87 um, and those new policies there. Uh, and then pleased to say there are no disagreements with management or difficulties encountered during the audit. It was a clean audit and we appreciate you know, management's um, diligence on that. And then on the next slide. Similar, there were no uh, uncorrected audit adjustments identified as well, so clean opinion there. Uh, we didn't uh, uncover any illegal acts, anything like that. There is also no concern with the company's ability to continue as a going concern for one year past the um, issuance date. And then we also do um, have kind of targeted procedures towards fraud in the financial statement audit, and these procedures include you know, targeted journal entry testing, deferred payment plan analysis, as well as interviews with um, executive personnel and port management. All right, just a couple more things. So on the next slide, we have <coughs> new and upcoming announce, uh, accounting pronouncements. So you, you notice that the, the standards that were implemented in 22, the GASB 87 got kind of the most publicity, but there were other standards that the port worked through implementation of. Um, 
One note on GASB 87 is that as a result of implementation of that standard, and because it had such a significant impact, particularly on previously reported um, results for 2021 and 2020, um, there is an emphasis of the matter paragraph in our opinion um, with respect to implementation of that standard. It does not impact the unmodified opinion that we issue, but it does, does highlight that the um, there's a significant new standard that was implemented that restated prior period presentations. So just wanted to highlight that for you. Um, on the upcoming accounting pronouncements, as always, I'd like to say that GASB um, doesn't slow down. There's quite a few new standards that are coming up in the next couple of years. Um, the, the bigger one, uh, ones that we will be working with for 23 implementation is the GASB 96, subscription-based information technology arrangements, which is very similar to <coughs> GASB 97, but um, relates to um, software as a service type agreements and, and other IT arrangements. So management is um, working on that implementation already. We're taking a little breather after 87 and we'll, we'll get right back into um, that implementation in the fall. And the next um, slide is um, our, we always like to acknowledge uh, the, the team here at the port, um, not only um, AFR team, um, but also the internal audit, the executives. We talk with many, many people um, throughout the organization in aviation, maritime, and economic div division, and all of the different um, uh, divisions. And everybody's very collaborative, very open in, in answering our questions and providing information. So just want to thank the personnel, everyone that had um, connected with us during the audit over the course of a few months um, and assisted us in, in getting the audit done timely. Um, also wanted to point out that GASB 87 implementation was just a huge, huge undertaking for the port team. And as, as much of work as that was, um, the information was still provided to us for the audit on time as we requested. So that uh, facilitated us issuing the reports on a very similar timeline as it has in the past. So there were no delays um, because of that big implementation. I just wanted to compliment the port's AFR team on that huge undertaking. and. As Connor mentioned, we did not have any audit adjustments as a result of our audit, which means all of the information that we were presented with um, was, was accurately stated from the start. And I always like to highlight that we do uh, work with um, small business firms uh, as part of our, our audit team. There were three different firms, actually, that worked with us throughout the um, 22 um, audit, um, two of which we were two of which are women-owned um, business entities <laughs> designated <laughs> as such. So overall, 12% of our total audit contract went to those two firms um, that are women-owned. So we'll, we intend to continue that relationship with those firms, and uh, they're a big part of our team. And that concludes our presentation. Thank you. Thank you both for presenting, and uh, thanks to the entire Moss Adams team. Um, it's always good to hear that we had a clean audit, especially considering with all the federal COVID-19 dollars that were, were included in, in those audits. So really appreciate the work that you do, and thanks to all of our port staff who participated and supported you guys through that process. Um, are there any questions from our committee members at this time? I have, I have two quick questions, if that's okay. Yes, please. Um, 
the first question I have is when we do our NPV calculations, what's the time period that we consider? Or is it just like the life of the, the lease or how? how, how? The, it does take into account the life of the lease. And the life of the lease is um, defined by the original term of the lease and any extension periods that are certain to be exercised during that. So it's, it's not just the agreement period. There's additional terms that are included to that, which was part of the um, challenge in identifying what is the correct period for that calculation. So for every single contract, the port team had to go through, read those contracts, identify the correct periods um, that would be uh, included in that calculation. So for instance, if we have a 10-year lease with, with three two-year extensions, then you would, uh, you would count those extra six years. That is correct. A commission to show only if we determined to be happening. It's not just an option Please sitting out there. Yourself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you for recognizing me, uh, Madam Chair. I'm Rudy Kaluza, AFR Director, Accounting Financial Reporting. Thank you for the question, Commissioner Cho. Uh, and just as Olga mentioned a little earlier, is we have to make a judgment call in terms of is it likely to happen or not. And if these extensions are likely to happen, they will factor them in the net present value calculation. If not, so that's the scrutiny we receive from Moss Adams as well. I see. And then lastly, um, you know, when it comes to auditing things like PFCs, how much overlap, if any, is there with any audits we might have with the FAA? Is it, is it something that we replicate, something we can just pass on, or are they two completely separate audits that we may uh, have to undertake? They are separate audits. So the, the PFC audit that we are performing is required by FAA to be completed annually um, in accordance with the, the criteria that they have set. Um, they generally come and perform their audits at specific times. So at the completion of, for example, of a certain application or um, for other non-financial um, audits. So okay. they're not, definitely not. So it's not a delegated audit where we send them our audit report and say, and check off the box. It's they, the FAA actually comes and performs the audit themselves. Not not the PFC audit. No, they rely on our report that oh, is submitted do. to them every year after it's okay. completed. Correct. Okay, great. Okay, that's what I wanted. Thank you, Commissioner Cho. May I clarify, please? Yeah. Thank you for recognizing me. Yes, th these are required audits by the federal agencies, and therefore we're required by the as a port entity to uh, obtain independent auditor. Uh, engagement with regard to this. And this provides the credibility uh, to the public with regard to accountability as it relates to um, passenger facility charge revenues, and we're talking a lot, as well as even the single audit, which covers the major um, federal grant programs as well. But the mandatory um, requirement is, is that we uh, obtain independent auditor observation and scrutiny. And Commissioner Cho, um, if I can add one more comment. I, I believe because the FAA requires these audits and Moss Adams is doing these audits, uh, there's no duplication. The FAA is relying on their work and they're asking them to Great. do it. Yeah, that's, that's what I was curious yeah. about. Thank you. Any other additional questions? Yeah, I'd be recognized, Madam Chair. Absolutely, go for it. Thank you so much. I just want to uh, emphasize, since this is public um, uh, visibility, that the Port of Seattle really needs to be very proud of our accomplishments here. This is a huge audit. It's on our financial statements. Uh, we're talking about over a billion dollars coming in, billion dollars going out annually, as well as about 10 billion in capital assets. And all of the complexities related to the industry prescribed accounting standards were required to comply to the T. 
and we're audited to, to that level of scrutiny, but also uh, to also uh, ensure independence and um, credibility of Moss Adams audits. State Auditor's Office goes to Moss Adams offices and review their audit work papers as well to validate that um, the audit was conducted in accordance with uh, RCW Revised Code of Washington expectations uh, which prescribe in accordance with industry prescribed accounting standards as well. So <clears throat> uh, this is something to be very proud of, but it's also uh, a demonstration of actualizing where it starts from the top, the priority set by the Port Commission yourselves with regard to ensuring that we, we demonstrate financial transparency, public accountability, all that responsibility we all have as port employees and elected officials. And, and we're able to actualize that to a very clean degree. And I'd like to acknowledge the team members of Accounting Financial Reporting, uh, all 60 of the team members, they work so hard to meet your expectations at the policy level, along with our Executive Director Metric and Chief Financial Officer Dan Thomas. This is the tone that's set at the top and we are very dedicated public servants to make sure we meet that expectation on part of the commission. So thank you so much for um, giving us that guidance and the opportunity to be recognized as well when we do ex exceptional work. Thank you, Madam Chair and Commissioner Cho and public member Holmstrom. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comments and um, it's, it's all factual and true and really do appreciate the work that your team has done and the entire team at the port who've worked on this audit and thank you to the Moss Adams team for the work that you all have done. Um, Director Fernandez, do you have any thoughts? I don't. I, I do want to say congratulations to the AFR finance team and Dan Thomas's entire organization. Thank you. Great. So if there's no additional questions for the presenters, I will be moving us on to the next item. Um, item number four on our agenda is the open issue status. Director Fernandez, please proceed with the updates. Thank you, Commissioner Muhammad. You know, Commissioner Muhammad, before I even move to the first slide, I want to kind of point out that recently we had Bruce Clausal, who is our IT audit manager, retire. And he built a lot and done a lot. So we went through this recruiting process um, externally. And we found the best candidate for the job. You know, luckily it came internally. It's Ritika Marwaha, who's in the back there, who's our new IT audit manager. Congratulations. <laughs> so, so with that, I'll, I'll move to the next slide, please, Michelle. One of the key items, commissioners, on item four, this is the item, um, the first item we'll be discussing, um, open issues. One of the things, we do audits, and um, when the audits are done, we don't want the reports to be put on a shelf and uh, nobody to follow up on them anymore and nothing to be done. So we, we, we make sure those control weaknesses are cl closed out and cleaned, cleaned up. So, you know, at the end of the day, we get clean audits from Moss Adams and from every other agency that comes in. So we're the last, last line of defense before um, it falls over to them and external agencies. We have a few open ones. Most of them, I'm happy to say, are being addressed. Um, I believe um, you know, there's, there's several that are in IT that I'll talk about from a very high level, but they'll be discussed in non-public session in a little more detail in the September Audit Committee meeting. We don't have um, any IT audits to discuss uh, today, so we've deferred everything to September and we'll have non-public session in December. So everything's going to be public today. Um, consult the RE2 policy and surety amount review. There's an action that needs to come to the commission. And this is primarily, there's been a lot of change because of uh, 
COVID and uh, the amount of surety or the deposits that uh, concessionaires make with the port. There's basically the RCW that says you have to have this amount and the commission can override it and say a different amount. Well, right now we're not complying with either. So um, we need to get that back to the commission or management does to um, basically assure that the surety that we have from our concessionaires are um, in line with what the commission's directed or the RCW's directed. The, the other it issue that we have that's been opened is architectural and engineering, uh, the fair and reasonable rate determinations. The RCW says you pick the best qualified candidate and then you determine a fair and reasonable rate. And if you can't come to an agreement as to what a fair and reasonable rate is, then you go to the next person and you negotiate with them. Well, the port has some broken processes that they're working on and determining what a fair and reasonable rate is. We've had an audit that was a couple years old, you know, um, that's it's still been opened. Primarily, a lot of things got slowed down because of COVID, but it is in the pipeline now, and we are working with CPO to make sure that that is addressed because it's a sizable amount of money. It's about, um, you know, if you look at architectural and, engineer, architectural and engineering costs, you're looking about 10 to 20% of your capital budget, so it's a sizable chunk of change. Um, that's it on open issues. You know, we have closed down quite a few the rest, uh, as far as the rest of the organization goes, but we'll keep these opened until they're addressed to the committee satisfaction and to audit satisfaction. Next slide, please, Michelle. And uh, commissioners, I believe uh, on open issue follow-up, uh, that's item four, that's it. So if there's any questions, please feel free to jump in. Thank you, D Director Fernandez, for the presentation. Are there any questions from my committee members? Sarah? Uh, yeah, I have a question, or I guess maybe just a comment. I feel like um, when we go through these, like it's kind of alarming to look at like the largest bar graph is in the more than two years old. So I'm wondering if there would be a way to like maybe split out some of these to, to like in progress, like something's actually being done on it versus nothing's happening. Because something I've noticed is as we continue to look at these, we continue to see them sitting in this still open. And it would be really helpful to know, like, is there actually progress being made? Like something's happening, we're working on this, it's just taking time versus we haven't even looked at this and it happened more than two years ago. Like yeah. those are two very different situations in my mind and be really helpful to be able to see where these actually land. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you, you know, um, I'm happy to report that m most of these that don't, we, when we don't have a, a, a block up top, we try to put in the notes whether they're being worked on or not, and they are, most of them are actively being worked on, but we will do a better job of splitting that out. I think that's a great uh, improvement opportunity addition. Another thing I think I might also add is, you know, I'll provide you with a trend year, month over month so you can see if it's going up or down in the prior month. Those are really great points. Any other questions? Great, so I can then move Look, us on to item number five on the agenda, which is uh, the 2023 audit plan update. Okay. Um, commissioners, so on, on this, this is a snapshot on where we are, on, on all our audits actually that we've got approved and we plan on doing. We've, you know, I'll, I'll go through a slide as to which ones have com we've completed and which ones are still opened, but um, we try to break our audits down to three major categories. 
limited contract compliance audits that are in the green. Those are essentially concessionaires at the airport. And, and that's a little over $100 million in revenue in lease and concession audits that come to the port. And uh, a lot of it is self-reported. So, mm -hmm. you know, they'll send in their information and uh, we'll bill based on their financial numbers. So one of the key controls that we have is as an internal audit function, we go out and we look at these organizations and make sure that their financials and what they're submitting is actually what they paid. So we, we try to cover at least the larger ones every three to five years or so, and the smaller organizations, um, you know, in a little larger time frame. But we are working on speeding up the process and adding more and becoming a little more efficient there. But, you know, we are getting quite a lot of coverage there. Uh, Operation performance audits are broken out into two sections. The, um, the top are the operational type and the bottom of the capital. Dan Chase uh, is the manager that does the operational audits and Spencer Bright uh, does the capital audits. Um, you know, a lot of the capital audits that you see now are mandated by the RCW. If there's a GCCM or a general contractor construction manager type project, which is four out of the six over there, you know, we have to audit them for the RCW. An independent audit has to be done. And, and although we have an outside firm that works with us, um, we, we have to get coverage there. And then finally, on the IT audits, you know, I think you heard uh, both from Connor today about cyber risk, uh, from Moss Adams being a key threat, and even yesterday in the budget retreat, and, uh, uh, one of the major threats is the cybersecurity risk. And I think one of the points that's pointed out is that in operations technology on the maritime side, threats have increased 900% year over year. And it's just because standardization of platforms have created the, an easier platform for cyber criminals. So we spend a lot of time there. And, uh, you know, Ritika Marwaha and her team will be uh, you know, covering these areas. and making sure, working with IT. Our audits are just to make sure that we have controls in place to, you know, so I think if, if, if you do these CIS audits, which is the bulk of what we do, they say something like 90% of the threats can be blocked, uh, known threats. So um, criticalness of doing that. Next slide, please, Michelle. And this is a quick Gantt chart, commissioners, that shows you where we stand. Uh, the green items are completed, the yellow ones are in process, and um, the pinkish, orangish ones are um, you know, planned and scheduled for the rest of the year. So as of right now, we're hoping to be able to complete the audit plan, what we've proposed to do, um, and I'll advise you in September if anything's slipping into next year. But as of right now, it looks like uh, we're on track with everything. Okay, Commissioner, that concludes the audit plan item. So, pass it back to you. Great. Um, are there any questions from my committee members? All right, I'll move us on okay. to item number six on the agenda, uh, which is the update on the portwide payroll controls. Director Fernandez, please proceed. Thank you, Commissioners. And for this, I'm going to ask Rumi Okuma, who's uh, are one of the internal auditors on our team, seniors, that uh, 
basically did this audit. So I'm going to partner with her, and she's going to do a little bit of the speaking as well. I'll open it up. And um, I believe we have management at, um, from the airport, from aviation maintenance on teams today. Today is supposed to be one of the air, airport's busiest days, so they're going to, I believe they're going to answer questions from teams, uh, from the committee. So one of the audits that we did, next slide please, Michelle, was we looked at our payroll systems. We spend a lot of money in payroll, and one of our big, biggest operational expenses is payroll and the people. And the port's very, very complicated. You know, we have labor contracts. We have um, represented workforce, non-represented workforce, um, and a, a lot of complexity that adds to, to, to risk and uh, the workload. So uh, we wanted to look at controls, and we wanted to make sure that both preventative and detective controls were functioning effectively. We also wanted to make sure that you know, some of the basic things that you see in payroll risks were addressed and um, that uh, Rudy Kaluza and his team and the rest of the organization were up, you know, had those controls in place. And our comments in general, those key controls were in place. They were well designed and operating effectively. But we did find some issues that we're going to talk about, you know, not necessarily in AFR, but they're very dependent on the entire organization. And this is an organizational wide audit. So if, if something isn't working somewhere down the line, it just flows up into the payroll systems. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Next slide, please, Michelle. As, um, as you can see, and I alluded to some of these things in the previous slide, we have about 2,500 full-time employees that the port's got to pay. And that amounts to about $317 million in, in the year, which is a huge amount representing 67% of our operating expenses. So very large amounts. We use uh, something called HCM, or the Human Capital Management System, which is a, a PeopleSoft system to uh, track and pay our payroll taxes, and payroll paychecks, essentially. Hours worked and everything are tracked in this system. Um, however, you know, there are subsystems, subsidiary systems that feed into HCM. And we've got Maximo, which is for aviation maintenance and maritime maintenance. Two different versions of that, but information that your hours are put in there and they feed up into HCM and paychecks are cut based on that. The fire department has their own system and the police department has their own system. And one of the things we heard in the budget retreat yesterday is we operate in silos and we have different systems that add to the complexity of the port, you know, and uh, we'll, Rumi will talk a little bit about that. But having these multiple systems like Planet, Telesaf, and Maxima, whilst, you know, they all have their needs, they add to complexity. And, uh, and, and a lot of that information is, has to be manually entered and, you know, it, it just becomes very challenging, but it is being done. Um, Maximo, the last bullet point, is the only one of the three that's actually currently interfaced with HCM. Everything else has to be manually entered, which Ruby will talk about. We have um, three issues and one efficiency opportunity. I'll touch on this one, the high-risk issue, and then we'll ask Mike Tasker or his team to answer. To, they've already provided a response, but um, 
the, the gist of this issue is we have this aviation maintenance system, Maximo, that they use Maximo. And, and the, the technicians, the aviation maintenance staff, the represented workers, put in their hours and their time into the Maximo system, which then, so if they work on a project, their time's put in, and then it feeds up into HCM and they get their paychecks cut. So it's based on the hours that they work. Well, we found that the Maximo system, it had a flaw in it in that when assets were disposed or, or retired, when they weren't functioning anymore, it was still every six months or periodically generating these preventative ma maintenance work orders. So somebody wasn't going into the system and shutting off these assets correctly. And, and that resulted in these tickets being created and I would assume, you know, over 10 years, staff would know that these assets don't exist, but nonetheless, they book time to it, anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours going out and working on these particular assets. Um, and, um, you know, and some, some of the systems, like the lifelines were the ones that we were um, advised about and, and we spent a lot of time looking at. They're basically cable attachment systems on the roofs. So when you're going to work in some high location on the airport or a sky bridge or something which has, you fall off, you're in a lot of, you know, you're, you're probably uh, not going to make it, um, you, you have to clip in. And, and there's a big red tag saying, out of service, please uh, don't use. So, you know, there should be no preventive maintenance done on it and, and we noted that people were still going up, t charging time to these systems. I think um, our health and safety department said we shouldn't even be on the roof if these systems are out of, or certain sections of the roof, if these systems are out of order, so we shouldn't be doing any work on them. Anyways, I, I, the gist of this issue is that, um, you know, somebody needs to go into the system on a timely basis and shut these assets down so these tickets aren't created. and. Um, time is in charge to them. Next slide, please, Michelle. Uh, one back. Okay. So this highlights some of the things that I talked about on, you know, the 10 years that uh, the tickets were being created, the visibly marked out-of-service signs that showed that they shouldn't be worked on. And then another thing we noted is on the aviation side, when a system was worked on, no notes were put into the system as to what people did. So although there is a requirement and their policies required notes to be put in saying, I did this and this and this to the system, that field was generally blank, not showing what was done. I will point out that on the maritime side, there are, I, I believe there was a requirement that notes are put in and, and the notes are being used there. So this is specifically on the aviation side. And um, one, as far as this particular, these particular assets, health and safety is taking ownership of them. So going forward on these particular systems, they are addressed. They are shut down in the system and aviation maintenance is, you know, shut, work jointly with them to make sure that these systems are shut down and the preventive maintenance tickets won't come out again. But uh, the issue is larger in that asset disposition, all assets, uh, need to be shut down, not just these particular ones need to be identified and there needs to be a process so they're shut down on a more timely basis. Uh, next slide, please, Michelle. 
And that's essentially what our recommendations say. You know, these particular assets should be shut down and uh, on a more timely basis and cleaned up. I believe, Rumi, is there anything else you'd like to add to this one? And, and who do we have from AB? Mike, if, I, I believe we have Mike Tasker. Yeah, Glenn, I'm on. Thank yeah. you. Uh, if you'd like any comments. Um, I, I know we've got yeah, your I mean, response. Mike, so yeah, yeah, Glenn, you got the response. This is Mike Tasker, Director of Aviation Maintenance. And you know, Glenn, I've worked, I agree with the findings, right? I agree, and, and something I provide is we've got to do a better job with returning out of uh, service assets so we don't have these issues. Uh, Glenn also mentioned the complexity of having multiple disparate systems where someone does an inspection and takes it out of service and it's not an automatic communication between the systems. So we've got to make that better. Uh, and that's what's led to some of this stuff. There was also a nuance with the response where uh, because of some of the complexities that may have just been titled something with the lifeline, but there may be other work as well. So. Um, we will improve it. I agree with the response, and we will uh, work with Glenn to uh, improve the process for uh, retiring out-of-service assets and getting them out of Maximo so they don't generate work orders. Anyone, commissioners, questions? Sir? Thank you for the presentation and the information that you've shared and the comments that have been provided. Are there any questions from my committee members? Sarah? Uh, okay, so it sounds like we were kind of given notice to check some of these. It looks like this fall protection was specifically called out to say, hey, you should look into this. Did we look into other assets too? Do we have a way to say, hey, we know these things are out of service, or was this specific to this one, but we assume there's a bigger problem? Which one is it? I, I believe we assume there's a bigger problem. You know, Rumi, I don't believe you looked into specific systems, right? So uh, we looked at the, uh, ah, my name is Rumi Okuma, I'm the lead auditor for this audit. Um, so for this issue uh, brought about uh, concern, based on the concern, uh, we uh, specifically looked at the lifeline systems. And uh, so the, besides this particular uh, lifeline system uh, discussed here, there are uh, at least four more lifeline systems, and the indication was that uh, uh, those assets, uh, other assets, might be um, in the same. Uh, yes. Okay. So that so we looked at one, but we assume there's other of these lifeline systems. But I guess I'm I'm assuming like it could be much bigger scale, like obviously completely outside of this fall protection thing. We're yes. talking any assets that there are. Okay. Yes, I, I believe we've framed it as the asset disposition process, the yeah. entire, so it, it probably extends to that. Mike, Mike, if there's anything that you want to add, you know, I know you, you look at the entire process. No, no, yeah, it, it, she, it, she's right. It's just, you know, the, it was pointed out the lifelines, and we, we have a process where we go through and we dispose. You know, a lot of focus has been onboarding assets. Now when we dispose of assets, um, we've got to work through and make sure all those assets are out of Maximo as we put new assets in. So we double, we, we want to make sure we don't double count the number of assets we have to maintain. Uh, but there is an improvement in that process and it may be uh, a resource need to ensure we do a better job of getting assets out of Maximo because you may be or may not aware that 
like bringing an IAF into um, uh, you know, or a North satellite. That is like 1,500 large capital assets with maybe 3,000 parts that have to be maintained. It's just it's just a large volume of work, and sometimes there can be um, you know perfection's the enemy of done. I don't want to make excuses there, but um, we will work the process to ensure we uh, mitigate or eliminate this issue with double time. Okay, so I guess in the response, we talk about that there's a new way to onboard assets, which seems like it'll make a more streamlined process to get rid of them, but is there an active effort then to go through the database itself to identify those ones who weren't part of that older, um, or part of that new onboarding process? And is that what you're talking about of additional, like help or resources yes. needed? Yes, uh, we've got a program called Preventive Maintenance Optimization, which is an effort we're doing in maintenance this year, which will continue through next year, is to ensure we don't have duplication duplication of assets uh, and, and ensure that we, we work to eliminate this issue. Okay, and then the last question I had, I, I think, Glenn, you might have mentioned it. Um, when you were speaking on this issue, is there like a safety concern around this one specifically that like these are out of service and we don't have fall protection outside of this? No, I, I believe if, if um, the asset is red tagged, um, nobody should be going up and working on it. So I, I don't, I'm, I'm not aware and Mike, you can confirm that, you know, if they're not supposed to be up on the roof, they're not going up on the roof where in that particular zone where the asset is. Right. Glenn is right, you know, it's close where there are fall protection rules where without uh, being harnessed in, you can't go so close to the, the edge of the roof. If the slope is a certain height or certain steepness, you can't go up there at all without a lifeline. So there are some nuances where you can do part of the work, but you can't go near the edge. You know, there's a lot of nuanced response, but, but Commissioner, I think you, you understand that, um, that yes, you know, not having fall protection does limit the work that can be done. So, so the systems, they, you know, health and safety, sorry, Commissioner Mohammed, go ahead. The health and safety is working with an outside vendor to address these and replace the systems and they've taken ownership of them. So going forward, at least the safety concerns are being addressed. Any other questions? Okay. Well, thank you for the responses. Um, those were great questions. Do you want to add something? Yeah, Commissioner, we're, we're still on item six, so we're going to continue oh, okay. on on item six. A couple I'm just going to move issues. us along. Go for it. Um, next slide, please, Michelle. So, Commissioner, this is Mike's response. It's uh, for the record. And next slide, please, Michelle. Uh, we have a security sensitive item on this audit, Commissioners, that we'll talk about in non-public session in September. Um, an IT. Next slide, please. And uh, there's a couple issues, items left that Rumi Okuma is going to talk about very quickly. So, Rumi, it's all yours on this item. Hi. Um, again, <laughs> this is Rumi Okuma, uh, lead auditor for this audit. Uh, so, um, supervisory approval of employees' time is considered a key preventive control in the timekeeping and payroll processes. Employees should not approve or modify their time after that. 
However, we noted that currently there are no hard stops configured into the HCM system uh, to stop employees to change their time in their uh, timesheets um, after supervisory approval. We also noted that the change the time uh, by an employee, for example, from regular pay time to sick leave time, um, would affect the time and uh, leave balances recorded in the system, but not affect uh, the uh, payroll payments that had been processed. So the change in time transactions will be reflected in the so-called approved pay, pay, payable time table in the system, but the central pay, payroll team needs to approve and reprocess the change in time after obtaining the authorization and uh, related support from the employee's department. Next slide, please. So we recommended that accounting and financial reporting implement hard stop configurations in, into the HCM system. Now, Rudy is here to discuss management. It, it, it's a low risk issue if you okay. want to make any comments. I know your response is up there, Rudy. Thank you. I'm Rudy Kaluza, uh, Accounting and Funds Reporting Director. Thank you, Madam Chair, for recognizing me. Um, yes, I'll make these comments short. Uh, I respect there's uh, a need to move forward on this with regard to the key points is that the HCM system provided by human capital management system provided by PeopleSoft Oracle has that uh, as a feature, uh, a functionality. We weren't aware of it because basically the impact is pretty much innocuous. Once a team member enters time, it's reviewed by the time administrator, it's approved by the department manager who's aware of the work that's supposed to be um, charged. That processes over to central payroll. We process according to approved time. Whatever any team member does after that, it has no impact on pay. Uh, but this is very good observation provided by Rumi that we just can't have loose ends. And um, uh, since it was not significantly uh, transactionally impacting as it relates to stewardship over public funds administering payroll, it didn't receive the visibility it needed. Nevertheless, we take it seriously. We're working with information uh, communications technology uh, programmers, um, and we're working to shut that down. We can't make any changes. But I just want to emphasize that there is not an impact on pay. Thank you. Thank you, Rudy. Okay, so we are continuing. Uh, so during this audit, uh, we noted one efficiency opportunity for the port, which would help streamline timekeeping and payroll sub-processes sub at the port. Jump in, Rumi. Please. So, so, commissioners, an efficiency opportunity isn't a control issue. So, something wasn't being done wrong. When we do our audits, sometimes we'll find an opportunity to become better for the board. It's like an, being an internal consultant and saying, hey, you know, we're working in silos. We have uh, these multiple systems, and it's putting tremendous burden on the AFR team and, and on timekeepers. So, you know, the, the whole port is under stress, it ends up in a SWOT analysis that comes to you in a budget retreat, and here's our way of saying, you know, these are opportunities, they're smaller pieces of the pie, but they're opportunities to get better. So as Glenn mentioned earlier, uh, along with the HCM system, three other subsystems have internally been used by certain departments to track shifts schedules, time and attendance, and or to manage work orders. 
these systems are maximal uh, by the aviation maintenance and the marine maintenance departments. Uh, Terra staff used by the fire department and planet used by the police department. Maximo is the only system that is currently interfaced with the HTM system. Next slide, please. So these are two tables. Uh, I, I hope you can uh, see uh, those <laughs> tables. Uh, contents, but these two tables will provide you with better ideas about how dynamic and complex the port's timekeeping and payroll uh, processes are. So table one shows the 2022 uh, full-time equivalent breakdown highlighting departments with various scheduling and timekeeping systems. FTEs of those departments utilizing subsystems make about one-third of the total FTEs at the port. The port has many collective bargaining agreements for represented employees with those departments. Uh, that is 21 out of 30 or 70% of the total agreements and addendums. So many subsystems in use uh, with a complex pay rate structures of those agreements uh, could increase the risk of errors. And the uh, process to finalize and implement the new rates in the systems involving multiple departments, including um, HR total rewards, labor relations, legal and uh, uh, central payroll, uh, is very time consuming and uh, uh, often results in uh, retroactive adjustments, which increase workloads in the payroll processing. So table two, just quickly, table two shows the time entry flow to HCM by departments and employee type. It involves a lot of manual intervention, intervention by time administrators and their managers in those departments to continuously validate the time data in their own systems and also between the, their subsystems and the HCM systems continuously. Next slide, please. So most of the time administrators and their managers we interviewed expressed some level of frustration uh, about the significant amount spent uh, pay period, uh, each pay period uh, to validate and correct time data for accuracy. Uh, on a related note, central payroll team processed approximately <laughs> 2,000 corrections and adjustments per pay period in 2022, which were requested after time submission uh, cut off. So opportunity may exist to analyze the data to uh, identify the correction ty types and patterns. Last but not the least, the fire department's rapid process improvement project uh, is currently undergoing with the port's continuous improvement process or CPI team. We'd like to recommend the port continue the CPI efforts to uh, streamline the subsystems. Next slide, please. 
So in addition, uh, we've made uh, several recommendations to gain operational efficiencies. Uh, those are to consider reducing the number of subsystems uh, and uh, take, taking other actions related to data and root cause analysis, training, education, and communications. Now Rudy is here <laughs> to respond. And Rudy, I can add one more thing. I know the complexity of these systems is huge and it's a monumental task. I know Rudy and team some years ago tried to outsource some of this stuff. Yes. The consultant, the, the outside company said it's too complicated for us. We don't want to touch it. So, yeah. but we have to look inside and see what opportunities we have. And uh, thank you, Mr. Fernandez, for recognizing that it was with Ceridian, a major payroll administration company. And uh, they did come in here, did a very uh, thorough review of our processes. It's just too complex. And, and that, that's where I'd like to address, I'd be succinct, uh, Madam Chair, with regard to reducing timekeeping systems, that is our long-term goal. I think we need to um, address some things foundationally first. And that's uh, with what is causing uh, the need to have these timekeeping systems separate from our central. Uh, PeopleSoft uh, financial, um, the uh, HCM, Human Capital Management System, is a very robust system but not as agile as to be able to address the complexities of our 26 labor agreements. And we're making a progress with labor relations, and I appreciate the, the uh, leadership that they're providing to provide more um, consistency, as more standardization, as well as more reality check on uh, what is uh, reasonable or not with regard to pay administration. But they are very complex. And the two major areas is fire department and police department. Uh, the pay uh, structure is very complicated. It's something that people South HCM cannot handle standalone, and we need to have separate systems. So the foundational, fundamental area we need to address is trying to make this a more um, manageable environment with regard to pay administration. Then we can look at system solutions that are, uh, although agile and very complex, can embrace this and be a solution for us. So I just wanted to mention this is a long-term solution. It's a very good recommendation from internal audit. We embrace that, and we look forward to uh, moving forward working on the steps to get there. With regard to continuing regular meetings, again, uh, Rumi uh, indicated the uh, complexity with regard to the partnership that's required among port departments. Uh, and we do meet regularly, especially uh, accounting, financial reporting department, payroll administration, along with labor relations and human resources. We do meet regularly, and that was a, uh, something that started years ago under direction of our chief financial officer, Dan Thomas, with regard to let's get the dialogue going, we meet regularly. But also, uh, we are meeting at the department level as well, and I think this is a recommendation from internal audit, and we're gonna continue doing that because it's really important that we have uh, good coordination, good collaboration, understanding in terms of what are the challenges that the departments are facing. So payroll administration has assigned specific team members in payroll to align with the labor agreements, align with the departments. So there's a more subject matter expertise group dealing with these things, and hopefully through uh, continued communications, we'll be able to address these. And th that kind of gets into use of HCM generated reports. <clears throat> um, the system does generate a lot of reports, and for us to, but one thing, it, 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 there's not an ability to analyze the reason for changes. And, and, and again, when uh, Rumi mentioned there's 2,000 corrections after pay approval, that's not us. It's from the department saying, hey, we approved, enter time, can you change this? So we're kind of responding to this, and that, I think that's, when you have such a volume, when you're trying to manage payroll and you get distracted with making corrections after the fact, that's a challenge because it could lead to distraction and errors. Uh, but we have not been had any errors. We have our act together in payroll because we're administering public funds. We've got to be tight on that. 
Uh, but with regard to being more informed through the system in terms of reports, we are enhancing the factors in the reports that are generated. Then we can do analysis. So we'll factor that in using the reports, working with the um, departments in dialogue. And, and, and then the last two points in terms of training, very good point. Uh, we'll increase the training. Uh, we're getting more formal in, current, in terms of learning management system, HR administer system, uh, human resources, and we're going to incorporate that. And the requirement is before anyone can touch payroll, the HCM system, they're required to take this mandatory training. Secondly, for those that are existing, uh, they have to take a recurring uh, uh, training every two years to be uh, uh, affirmed as to being able to have the competence and, and knowledge to, um, to um, do their job there. And then they'll continue the CPI, continue process improvement. We are leveraging the expertise of Office of Strategic Planning, and uh, they are venturing into coordinating all of us at the port, especially starting with the fire department and the labor relations, human resources, accounting, financial reporting. Uh, with regard to moving forward and really uh, documenting current state and then identifying the key pain points. And uh, this has just started and uh, we've already moved forward uh, with the leadership of office strategic planning to specific areas making improvements along the way. But this is a project that's going to be going through 2023 and this is something we really need to do under the lean model, it's continuous process improvement, to document our current state, identify areas for improvement and then execute them. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for those thorough answers and uh, information that you've, you've shared, actually. Um, is there any questions from my committee members? Okay. I will be moving us along to item number seven. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Item number seven on the agenda is an update on the social and environmental reporting. Glenn, you have the floor. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner, I'm going to ask Dan Chase, our audit manager, over who did the audit. And I believe, uh, Dan, you like Bukta and me and. Uh, uh, me and Bukta? you can stay. Yeah, I, I don't think, okay. yeah we, we agree she can stay. All right. Okay. Sorry. Thanks, Mia. Okay, so uh, thank you, Glenn, and good afternoon, audit committee members, and thanks, Mian, for being here, me and Rice. Um, so I'll go through the, the first few slides fairly quickly. Um, the, uh, the period that we covered was January through December of 2022. Uh, we audited three reports, the OEDI report, uh, the environmental report, and the diversity and contracting report. Um, and the purpose, of course, was to evaluate internal controls, um, and then it was also to assess the accuracy of what was reported. Um, next slide, please. So this slide reflects the diversity and contracting aspirational uh, goals, and in 2018, there were, there were two goals to, the first was to triple the number of Wimby firms that contract with with the port over a five-year period, and the second was to triple the spend over that same five-year period. Um, port Resolution 3737, which was established in 2018, it defines what a Wimby business is, and it's defined as 51% uh, owned and controlled by a woman or a minority. Um, port processes allow firms to self-declare their Wimby status, and 
a little over half, about 55% are self-declared. Uh, next slide, please. Thank you, Michelle. So the Washington State Office of Minority and Women Business Enterprises, or OMWBE, according to their website, they're the sole agency in the state that certifies WIMBY businesses. Um, there are three requirements. The first is MIRS 3737, which is 51% owned and controlled by a woman or a minority. Um, and then there's two additional requirements. The first one is to be economically disadvantaged, and it's defined by having, uh, by the owner having a net worth of less than 1.32 million. And then the, th the, the second is that the business must be small, um, and that's defined as annual receipts less than or equal to 30.4 million over a three-year period on average. Uh, Sarah, did you have a question? No. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> um, next slide, please. So I'm, I'm going to circle back to, that, to what we just discussed, but I wanted to go through the, the issues that management has provided responses for. So in the diversity and contracting report for, for 2022, we looked at the non-public works uh, Wimby firms reported as 271, and what we found is we found 17 duplicates. Um, so that would reduce uh, the number from 271 to 254. And the management response, and, and me, and if you don't mind, I'll just go real quickly how you respond, and if you want to add anything, you can. Um, they're going to go, once they get the, the information from our center procurement office, they're going to uh, look at the data and then anything that appears to be a duplicate they'll do research and then remove those um, going forward and then also they're going to look back since uh, from 2019 since we're measuring this over a five-year period. Um, Mian, do you need to add anything? I think that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, okay, good. Um, and next slide, please. Um, there's our recommendations. You can go to the next slide. And you can go to the next slide. Uh, this is a low rated issue, um, and this is the, for the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Uh, Book de Geyser is here if you have any questions that she can answer. But what we found is that the um, number of employees uh, that are, that we reported as being employed through the, uh, through the airport program. Uh, didn't support, didn't agree to the supporting documentation. And, and why that was is it was, the number wasn't final. And so simply you know, earmarking that as an estimate or waiting until the number is final uh, will alleviate that. So um, again, pretty straightforward and relatively low risk. So uh, what, I, what I wanted to do is, is circle back to um, the difference between Resolution 3737 and the state requirements. Um, so at, as we do our audits, one step we do is, is research. And um, that gives us a baseline understanding um, so that we have you know, a relatively you know, um, general understanding of what we're auditing. Um, we looked at 3737. And we also looked at the state requirements and noticed that there's differences. Um, 
as I mentioned earlier, the state requires um, firms to also be small and economically disadvantaged. And so, you know, as we went through our um, audit, um, we highlighted those differences and um, bring those forward to, you know, the audit committee for consideration and discussion. Before, go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to ask a clarify, is, is that in the slides here? Did I miss that, those comparisons? Those comparisons are on, yeah, maybe you could back up to, I think, this. This. The, yeah. Let me. It'd be helpful to. Yeah, so that's oh, 3737. Um, it's 51% owned and controlled by a woman or a minority. Okay, and then the next slide has the state requirements. Um, so there are two additional requirements uh, to be economically disadvantaged and also to be small. So, you know, before we open it up for discussion and comment, you know, I, I want to say that in no way do I want to give the audit committee the impression that management hasn't complied with resolution 3737. They have. Um, you know, and I, I commend Mian and, and Dave McFadden and Lawrence Coleman and others that have grown this, this program. Um, but, um, you know, the, the salient points that, that we point out here, um, you know, is something internal audit does and uh, we just bring it forward for, you know, additional consideration and discussion. Glenn, did you want to add anything before? No, actually we just... I'm sorry, Commissioners. One of the things we want to do is, as we do our audits, we want to be transparent and objective and present to the Commission and that, uh, you know, w when you are getting these reports, just as your general awareness that we are not following item two and three, nor is it a requirement for us. So if that's something that, you know, you would like to consider, that's your prerogative to work with me in as appropriate and, and well book said. as well. So. That With that, that pass it back like to you. Thank you. Um, does that conclude this section before we jump into that? We, we do have. Okay, so I'll open it up to questions to my committee members. I just have a quick comment. Uh, we don't need to go into it today, but I think, you know, uh, 3737 I think was a good start for us as an organization in terms of, you know, putting in requirements to increase women's representation. But I think you know, checking off a box to say, yes, I'm, I'm a Wimby business and, and having an actual mechanism that checks to make sure that they're being truthful is, 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 a, is a step that we need to take, right? And to make sure that those businesses that are claiming to be that are actually that, right? So that our numbers aren't inflated, so to speak. You know, uh, Commissioner Mohammed and I had a listening session with several business owners and, and stakeholders. Maybe it was two weeks ago, a week ago. Okay, and you know, obviously, one of the one of the concerns around that uh, certification was that it's onerous for small business owners, and I understand that and I hear that, but I do think there's something in between here that we can figure out, whether it's you know um, our own process, whether it's we do regular audits of our actual small businesses to make sure they're being truthful, whether it's certain disclosures or uh, an affidavit they sign in order to, it, more than just checking a box, but to say, I say that I'm this, and I understand the repercussions, and maybe there should be some repercussions on paper that say, if you lie about this, this is what happens, right? In other words, to create a deterrent, 
right? So people don't lie about it, right? I'm not saying that this is a rampant problem. I, I, I like to think that most folks, the vast majority of our minority business contractors are truthful, but people take advantage of the system. And I think there's a way to trust but confirm in a non-punitive way, and I'd love for us to look into that. Any other questions? Um, I, I echo those same sentiments, and I think it is a policy discussion for us to figure out as a commission what is the next sort of step that we want to take. I really appreciate the comparisons that were provided. That is a really that's helpful for us to use that information to um, discuss what we want to do next. And I really just want to express deep gratitude for me and Rice's team. I know this work is really difficult. Um, we don't want to create barriers for our community members to be able to access. Um, opportunities at the port um, and so how do we be transparent accountable when things um, uh, are not happening in the way that that we would like to see them and we've heard so many stories and anecdotes and I, this audit actually confirms mm -hmm. uh, some of those stories I was hearing out out in, in the public and so it, it's helpful it gives us an opportunity to analyze that and, and come back and decide what we would like to do next as a commission. But I definitely do think it's a it's a policy discussion for us to have um, next time. Yeah, so again, absolutely. yeah. Absolutely, commissioners. Uh, thank you for inviting me to the Director of Diversity Contact Program. Oh, thank you, Rudy, for turning on the mic for me. <laughs> Appreciate that. I'll pay you later. Um, the, <laughs> one of the things that I did want to bring up, though, real quick, is you know, you know, since Initiative 200, I 200, turned state of Washington into uh, anti-affirmative action state, and so you know what's been happening recently and so forth. But what one of the things since that happened, the amount of certification in women minority businesses at OMW went down, plummeted, and I, we have data for that as well through the state of Washington. Um, so a lot of um, one of the things that I did want to bring up, though, as part of the Resolute 3737, which was a great foundation to the great work that the Port of Seattle and the commissioners and staff has really turned to really trying to be intentional about, is also there are some businesses that decided not to get certified, as you mentioned already, Commissioner Cho, but some of them all go to, sometimes they go to other organizations like the Northwest Minority Supplier Development Council. That's another organization that they go um, as a membership or the uh, we bank, which is the women's business uh, era. I forgot the last last letter, but also, but there are some other membership organizations that we cannot discount as we continue to think about our gap year next year when we look at our policies and what we're going to do when it comes down to how we're going to move the needle forward um, for our next five-year goals. I'm assuming in the future that we'll be all going through. So, thank you. Thank you for those comments and thank you for presenting on this part. Um, if there's no further questions, I'll, I will be moving us on to item number eight um, on the agenda. So item number eight, uh, that is our restoration construction project. Glenn, please proceed. Thanks, commissioners. I'm gonna ask uh, Spencer Bright to come up and I know we only have a few minutes left, about 12 minutes, so I'm gonna move through this pretty quickly. The last audit is a clean audit, item uh, nine on the agenda, so this is our final item to discuss. You know, Spencer, in the interest of time, I'm going to go through the first couple of few slides and then I'm going to hand it to you. But essentially, this is environmental remediation. You know, we're, we're going to be spending a lot of money on it in the future. Again, as you heard yesterday, we're going from about 7.5 million a year to 50 million environmental remediation. This is one of those projects. And uh, 
as we do these, we have to audit them. Um, obviously, you know, as the slide shows, uh, Malarkey Asphalt Company created a mess that we're cleaning up. And uh, the port acquired the property. We cleaned, we're cleaning it up, and this is money to build the Duwamish People's Park on that site. So next slide, please, Michelle. Um, the, the slides essentially show a little bit of a background as to what we're spending, but with Scarcella and Brothers, you know, there's almost $15 million that we're spending. And uh, as a, the prime GCCM contractor, where our, our, jo our job is to audit them and make sure that what they're submitting to the port is accurate, and uh, we, we work with Janison and construction management team on this. Next slide, please. So one of the things we did do, we're required to have an independent audit. You know, we can make the argument that we're independent as well, but we do go out and get a special additional firm that comes in and works with us. And we did have a minority Wimby firm, Branch Richards, which that did the work here. And they did amazing work. So you'll see in the next slide that Spencer talks about that they're Wimby firm. Unfortunately, the partner's retiring this year. And <laughs> So we'll have to find another firm, but uh, they did marvelous work. And next slide, please, and Spencer will talk about that. Thank you, Glenn, and good afternoon, committee members. I'm Spencer Bright, the Capital Projects Audit Manager. Um, so the following table depicts the results of Branch uh, Richard's work. Um, there's still some minor work that they need to perform as this particular project is on hold. But uh, to date, uh, Branch identified a net overbilling of approximately $340,000. Uh, this has already been reconciled uh, through the pay application process uh, during the project. Meaning we got the money back. <laughs> Next slide, please, Michelle. So our particular um, audit, uh, above and beyond what Branch Richards did, focused on we reviewed Branch Richards' work, their work papers, to see if um, we agreed with the work they performed. We looked at the bidding requirements, uh, GCCM negotiated support service work, and self-performed work that they performed. Out of um, out of the areas we reviewed. Review, excuse me, we reviewed, we noted uh, two uh, low-level observations. The rest of the areas were uh, good, and we have no recommendations or um, anything for those areas. So for issue number one, um, we noticed as part of um, the GCCM requirements by state law, when the GCCM goes out to uh, bid for work if they intend to uh, submit a bid themselves, they have to put an intent notification within that proposal request. Um, for, for this project, uh, when these uh, solicitations went out in 2020, uh, that intent was not included in their RFP. Um, <clears throat> prior to our audit and uh, Central Procurement Office CPO um, identified that that did occur 
and did update their processes. So currently, uh, their process makes sure that this requirement is met. And so that'll be moving through uh, future solicitations. Next slide, please. The second issue is related to uh, two self-performed tasks that the GCCM performed. Um, at that time, the uh, GCCM was directed uh, by the resident engineer or the, the person in charge of the project um, to bill on a percent uh, completion basis monthly uh, instead of actual costs as the contract was written. This resulted in an overbilling of approximately $166,000 or overpayment. Um, Prior to our audit again, the current uh, RE that's assigned to the audit um, noted this uh, billing discrepancy and has been in the process of reconciling the difference before we uh, came on site. Uh, the construction management team has already been in uh, discussions with the GCCM who is in agreement and there is a plan um, to, to uh, get a credit of this difference, which is approximately 166,000. Commissioner, since we're close in time, um, and these are both low risk issues that have been addressed, you know, unless you wanna hear from management, um, we can close this out and move on, or take questions as needed. Yeah, I'll hold for a second. Any questions from the committee members? All right, no questions. We can move on to the next item then. Very good. Um, the next item on the agenda is item number nine, which is the Doug Fox parking. Glenn, please proceed. Thank you, Commissioner. So, so I won't go into a lot of detail on this, but Doug Fox is a parking lot, one of the largest ones that's, that's port owned right uh, by the airport. And this is essentially a clean audit. Um, they're large, uh, revenues are about 14, 15 million a year. They paid us everything. One of the, they're small business, Kind of, uh, but, but I mean, you know, the, the individual that runs it, it, it depends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you look at his revenue and, and the definition that we use, but, uh, but nonetheless, I, I think there was a credit that he was owed, and, and when we do these audits, one of the things we do, it got lost in the shuffle. So uh, he'd sent the request over for his credit in 2020, I believe got lost just a few hundred dollars, but we reconciled that, we found it, and we made sure he got his money back. So, <laughs> small. But that's it, commissioners, it's a clean audit, and uh, I have nothing more today. Sorry. Thank you for that, uh, for sharing that information. Are there any questions from my committee members, colleagues? All right. So, um, it looks like we're at the end of our agenda make sure I didn't miss anything okay so that this brings us to the close of our of the meeting mr. Fernandez do you have any closing comments that you'd like to share no I just want to say thank you to everyone here that came and uh, booked uh, me in and and the folks that left as well as our team that's did all the work so thank you very much Commissioner Thank you. Are there any closing comments from my, uh, the committee members? No comments? Great. 
Well, thank you so much for all of the hard work that you and your team do, and thanks to everyone who presented today. Um, I will be closing us out. Hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there is no objections to adjourning, we are now adjourned, and the current time is 1227. Thank you.